Hello, and welcome to the Agency Podcast. Eugene Napick here in Toronto. And Candy Minx here in Chicago. Hey, Candy, good to talk hey. to you. You too. Um, I'm 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 re refreshed on the after our hiatus and our our podcast. What two weeks ago? I'm feeling pretty good. I'm feeling like maybe you know we're doing some catching up and stuff. How's things around your place? Uh, things are things are pretty good. Was out this morning. We we took uh, Bonnie out to Jack Darling, the best dog park uh, I've ever seen. It's okay. out in Mississauga, and when they renovated the water filtration plant somebody had an idea that every politician really in most cases would just shoot down and never let happen. They said, when we renovate and rebuild this filtration plant, let's make the entire enormous site one giant dog park at the same time. What a great idea. Couldn't they the politician that they came up with that. Well, I know the pol- you would think the politicians would shoot that down. Like yeah. our local dog park right by me, which is also at a, beside a water filtration plant, our previous counselor, and maybe that's one of the reasons why he's our previous counselor, um, said, uh, oh, we can't possibly have uh, water there. Right. Because it's next door to a filtration plant. Right. Whereas at Jack Darling Park, of course, they have a water feature in season. Right. Uh, but they've built this on several different levels, like on a hill. So there's, it's like five parks in one. There's a big sand pit. Um, there's some weird structures that look like they're from outer space that are part of the filtration plant. Uh-huh. There's also a toboggan hill. What a great park. Wow, fantastic. Well, and, and I just want to reiterate, because maybe we've got some new listeners and they haven't heard who Bonnie is, if you just want to remind us. how Oh, yes. Yeah. So, uh, we, we have a new dog. We're, we're into week, uh, week six, starting next okay. week, with a, a rescue dog. Uh, that came up from Tennessee. Her name is Bonnie. And uh, I'm not sure if that's short for uh, Bonaventure or uh, Bon Jovi, or maybe it's just Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah. Because her best friend is Clyde. There you go. So that's why. Okay, great. I'm glad to hear she's acclimatizing and and, uh, and fitting in and adding to your life. And and people have been asking us, what breed is she? What breed is she? Right. And we keep, um, uh, we, we keep, hearing that question and we were going to get the doggy dna done and then uh we heard we watched uh the episode of marketplace last week (laughs) where they investigated uh doggy dna outfits right and it was pretty darn interesting two of the outfits well they said among the the tests they said was the host's human dna okay okay and uh they they said that they thought he was part Rottweiler or something. Well, yeah. I was going to say, I tell everybody that uh, Bonnie is a Doberman. I just tell them she's a Doberman. Well, uh, <laughs> this guy, the two two of the uh, the doggy DNA companies um, didn't recognize that it was doggy DNA, and um, okay, and came back what breeds he was, That's and then nice. and then the same the same companies, or at least one of them. They, they took a DNA of a Great Dane that they could trace the lineage back seven generations. Okay. And they sent it with a picture of a Chihuahua and it came back 100% Chihuahua. Oh my God, that's so funny. That's Well, that's how you have yeah. to do an expose, isn't it? And, and the two good companies that appear to be not actually trying to, to provide some results, um, for a lot of rescues, they're no help because 
a lot of rescues bring in dogs that are street dogs in places like Cairo or Mexico or um, various different places. And those dogs have been interbreeding to form almost a street dog breed predating the breeds we have today. And so uh, they send back the results, you know, oh, you have an Egyptian street dog. Well, that's fine. Can I have my $200 back? You know, and so um, after extensive, um, extensive lab work, we have determined uh, Bonnie's DNA. Right. Uh, she is 84% sweetie pie and 16% SGG, which is super good girl. Mm -hmm. Very good. I love it. That is so sweet. I'm glad to hear it. Glad to hear she's doing good. And okay, so listen, we got some catching up to do because, you know, we made that episode about two weeks ago and I survived a pre-tornado dust storm driving across the Oklahoma panhandle back from our pop culture convention. And oh, a good uh, old dust storm, an old fashioned dust storm is always fun. Exhausting. It's like driving through a brown fog. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. And um, you we need to saw, have Woody Guthrie records on. It's definitely Grapes of Wrath and Woody Guthrie land. That's for sure. Um, and we, you know, decided we were going to stop a couple of nights and take it back slowly. But what happened was we stopped to see Cadillac Ranch, was which was really incredible sculpture installation from 1974. And we've got posters on social media, either Facebook or Instagram. If you're just listening to this now and you want to go look the agency podcast on instagram and um we stopped my poor husband he did not want to get out it was a terrible storm and i said yeah but it's right here let's just look <laughs> because i'm terrible <laughs> that way i made him go to a bat cave i make him go to nature <sighs> wow I know. so we get out and there's another car there parked with a family and they're not getting out of the car and Stag and i put on masks and scarves and hats and I've got my sunglasses on to fight the dust storm. And we walk by the car and I just make the crazy circling motion by my head. And they open up the window and said, no, we must be crazy too then. <laughs> and they got out of the car. They were following us, but they turned around and went back because they, wow. they had good sense. So they weren't quite as crazy as you two. Not quite as crazy as we were. And uh, we got to see Cadillac Ranch. It was really fun. I will go again. It's just a cool spot. And then when we get back in the car the radio starts being interrupted, listing off the counties in Oklahoma that we're just been through with tornado wanderings. Oh, um, no. Seek shelter, seek shelter. So I just got my pedal to the metal. And you were looking at art. And we were looking at art. <laughs> so hey, really, you were crazy. We were crazy. And you got to look at art, man. I mean, see it in person, please. And so we just, we made it. We persevered and stakes said, no, three more hours. Let's get to the, the casino in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. We had booked it for the next night. We just stayed there two nights. And when I got there, I had a couple of doubles. I bet. I'll tell you, they just hit me. And we had a great dinner. And we did some gambling. We played some slot machines and just kicked back. I wore one of my caftans through the casino to the pool to the hot tub. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, it was great. I was feeling no pain, as they say. And tell me about the conference. How was it this year? Oh, Eugene, I got so much to tell you. I think it's going to give... You know, every year I take my phone and I write all these notes of things I want to watch and have to see. And um, I just get so revved up. So um, I was on two roundtables in the esoteric, um, what do you call it? esoteric 
panels, right? They're yes. area chairs. So, um, you know, we've had Gerard hard to Donald believe you would get tagged with esoterica. Listen, listen to me. When I first went the first five years, I was like, what the hell are these panels? This is this just doesn't make sense. But they were super popular. And the fellow we've had George on on yes. here, he's a very compelling personality, very interesting man. And um he's kind George of George Sieg, right? George Sieg, and he's kind of kidnapped me. We've had a lot of great discussions. And um we came up, he said he asked all of his people that were in the area, you can only present on one area your paper but there's no limit to how many round tables you can be on so now i'm just like okay round table heaven <laughs> and so, um, george and i he he put a call out for presentations and then he and i worked on the two that we were interested in doing together and um this one was very interesting i'll just talk a little bit about it It was called disinformation and we co-created this disinformation false flags and weaponized lies from maya to mind work so basically, it's talking about deep fake technology. How does that play out on us with, um, while the bleeding edge of deep fake technology and other augmentations of reality inspire renewed anxieties concerning state power, speculations concerning the dramatic impact of technological deception on warfare are themselves predictable variations of an already well-established history of weaponized lies. So we kind of took it from there. What I brought to the table, and I, I, I actually got kind of a little nervous. Because um, I was like, do I have anything? Once it comes down, you're like, what? But of course, what I was really interested in um, is basically I'm writing an essay on how the CIA has backfired and the implications on artificial intelligence. Um, I'm very, you know, in the last, we have, we didn't even talk about this last podcast. There's been so many chat bots, uh, art, so-called art made by AI in the last, what, three months? It's just been exploding Facebook. Isn't that interesting? Because already it's been about two years since I made a small series of paintings about AIs making paintings and writing poetry. Yeah. See, you were ahead of the game. That's I always try to be do. ahead of the game. You That's know, what it's just one of do. one of our jobs here at the agency. Right. So this this artwork has exploded on Facebook, and I don't. I'm sure everybody listening has seen it. And basically, it does catch your eye. It's very dramatic, but it has, it's as interesting to me as Photoshop was when it first came out. I used to fucking love Photoshop and the books, the new design on novels. Now I'm like, mm, it becomes tiresome after a while. Yes. And so AI is not artificial intelligence creating art. What it is doing is it's amalgamating and collecting images that already Ooh. exist by real artists. And it's ripping them off. And now there's some legal lawsuits. Legal lawsuits. That was redundant. Lawsuits <laughs> of people suing. You took my image. You can't use it. Or you've took this part of my painting. So it, that's going to be a lot of fun so, to see. But I think that's that's today. very interesting. I I often see you know people. If you go to nature sites, uh, photographers will do a lovely picture of an owl or something, and then they'll have their digital signature that is about an inch big at the bottom. So you, and with a big copyright and. Right. Somehow in my mind, it, that like the giant signature to me somehow wrecks the image. I don't know how that is. Okay. Um, I mean, I never would would put on my paintings a signature, although lots of people. I don't do. either. I don't. But either. I just it, to me, it would just get yeah. in the way. We would like scar it. I would agree. But you know, sometimes people ask you to sign things. So Steg often gets asked to sign things, and and he, we sign the back. We, we sign the. Although back he does crowd. use his signature as part of his paintings too he does sometimes he does that's true okay so back to this round table 
Um, I brought three aspects of CIA, what I call CIA backlash. Programs that the CIA set in motion, and they turned out to not to be a backlash. And for me, that is a very powerful inspiration to resist AI. Okay, that's how I see it. And maybe we can learn something from it. So what I brought was things we've talked about here on the uh, podcast. I brought um, the abstract expressionist being controlled or discovered by encouragement by the CIA. And that falls under the umbrella of MKUltra. We've talked about MKUltra being, you know, the Unabomber and mind control and torture, right? And and testing um, soldiers and and they had to, the government had to compensate for those soldiers' PTSD afterwards. But this is, um, so a lot, every, we had a very small group of this, maybe about eight of us. And so I started out going, maybe it's better that this isn't a full auditorium because we're going to keep the secrets to ourselves and we don't want anyone to know what's what's going on. Hopefully you guys aren't um, spies for the government at this uh, esoteric mind <laughs> war convention. So everybody, yeah, everybody laughed. And um, I brought, so I started talking about abstract expressionists after the Second World War, a cultural Cold War, that it wasn't enough to just um, win the Second World War, but now America had to have art and culture of its own. And George said, okay, I get that the cultural part, but what's in it with art? Why art? And and then the uh, moderator said, well, art art makes money. And art isn't a me. Uh, and then I said, yes, art is how you make money disappear. You want that in your control to make money disappear. You don't want other countries getting it. You, you One, you don't want them to be the authorities on what is good art or bad art. You want to have that voice. But you also want to be able to make a lot of money with art and keep it in the country or in your community or your tribe. And so we talked about that. I said, but what actually did happen was we have abstract expressionists. It's not like the art, the art transcended the CIA's motives to do it. It still stands on its own and is an intriguing um, part of art history for us to lock our horns with as, as artists and, and audience. The second part I brought, I've mentioned, and this was all quickly to build up to my other part, was um, Timothy Leary is another example of the CIA backlash. The CIA thought, great idea, let's put LSD and and magic mushrooms and these things into the hands of researchers so we can find out about mind control and how they affect, maybe it's a truth serum. Well, they did not predict that someone like Timothy Leary and Ram Dass, his friend, Baba Ram Dass, would all of a sudden take LSD and be so inspired and transformed that they saw through the illusions of control systems and it backlashed and they had the voice of, of young people. They had the ears of young people. And mm-hmm. to this day, Timothy Leary is still an invigorating, inspiring personality. So those are two backlashes. But the one I wanted to bring forth was I had found this essay and it's written um, in 1991, it was published. And it was about the foundation for human ecology. That's basically the title. This was a cover operation of the CIA. Great they name for a band. Yeah, they made up a fa- I, I've tr- I fucked it up a bit. It, it's, it has a longer title. And if I was any kind of a professional, I would have prepared to have that for you. What happened was oh, one of the- Also, if I, if I could digress yeah. for a second. Please, please. Um, uh, the AI resistance would be another great name for a band. 
Definitely. If but, I thought we could have called the, our, I feel our whole podcast is AI resistance. <laughs> but uh, but the the best name for a band, and if I ever put together a little fiddle band, that's what yeah. it's going to be called. You know, around the Toronto area, if you listen to the radio, you will hear ads all the time, hour after hour after hour, for a male impotence therapy mm-hmm. called Pulse Acoustic Wave Therapy. Is that not is that not the name of my band? That's great. Acoustic, because we all know what it does, right? You listen to this music and it's going to make you happy. Yeah. Well, this podcast kills fascists and it kills AI. (laughs) That could be our title. I'm sorry to uh, to interrupt there. No, no, it's okay because I'm going to stay on this because I kind of want to share it. I want to share it with you because it leads to a couple of things. And um, so I basically found this essay and I I printed it out and brought it with me and I ended up giving it to one of the, um, the young people that was this, this, this fellow, the student that was at the, um, at the conference anyway, he was so intrigued by it. So they, they created this foundation. It's called the foundation for human ecology and advancement, something like that. Okay. I'll find the real title later. Um, And basically they created a a system for giving out grants to academics in Harvard. Now they didn't call it the CIA. They didn't tell anyone. And the research does not show that any of these academics took this money knowingly. It came from the CIA. All evidence shows that they didn't, but they needed someone to divvy this out. So they approached a woman named Margaret Mead and she divvied out this money. Um, Her husband was Gregory Bateson, who in many ways is I consider the 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 father of artificial intelligence uh he's an engineer and an inventor and scientist so they were married he you know so this is how closely this was hot and this is in the 50s and 60s it's just incredible to me that there is this kind of financial influence and so i've got i find eventually this list of people that were donated to and this was interesting so i say two of the people um, who were Harvard researchers, psychologists, they got a grant, which would be up about $118,000 today. That's not shabby. And um, they were researching human condition. And they so, became- so Sorry, I have to interrupt. The Margaret Mead, is that Margaret Mead, the anthropologist? Absolutely. That's okay. what I'm saying. Isn't that mind-blowing, Eugene? Yes. It's not like it was Joe Blow. It was Margaret Mead, a substantial cultural figure and um, influencer before we called them influencers and her husband's Gregory Bateson also insanely important uh, innovator so she she was on this panel to give out these grants well two of the people they gave it to um, eventually left Harvard and created really part of the mainstream new age movement that we know of today The woman had visions. And so at one point I said, I don't know if you guys have heard of A Course in Miracles. And the only person who heard of it was George. And he goes, oh, must candy. It's got to be generational that we heard of this. And I I backtracked. I said, what you might have heard of is, no, you're not going to know this either. Marianne Williamson was on Oprah. Well, no one knew who that was or Oprah or anything because they're not into that anymore. That's gone. I mean, they know Oprah, but they didn't watch their show. Maybe their grandmother did or something, right? Or maybe their mother Anyway, so um, they invented, so George takes over. He goes, well, of course, the miracles is, um, it was based on a person having visions directly from Jesus Christ. And um, it has sprung into a worldwide um, spiritual movement. So, um, and, you know, I've 
I knew Marianne Williamson. I read her book, Stag. I made Stag read her books. She wrote uh, uh, Return to Love and Miracles. And she's running for president right now, actually. And um, I cool. definitely... I definitely will be donating. I donated last time she ran for president. And um, I, I really love her speaking and being on those uh, debates because she's coming from an anti-capitalist, spiritual, ethical background. And it's very interesting. It's pure excitement. I've, I'm as excited as Bernie Sanders and Obama. To me, that's just that exciting. So anyway, um, so that was a backlash because what started out as maybe this money to control people turned into something that helps a lot of people, whether or not you're interested in it. And then someone said, well, uh, we started listing off all these things like of uh, mind war was an idea that you could go into people's brains and you'll, you'll win a war by that. But um, we talked about this guy, Michael Aquino. And of course, George turns out, I brought that name to the table. Turns out George interviewed him and he is a, a practice. He was a practicing dark art of the satanic lean and he also used to be a former colonel in the military and he said to george it turns out that we can't control people that way it's just easier to use machines just use you easier to use weapons and machines so that was all very interesting and then we're like well this is kind of depressing what are people doing now to um in governments to to try and um control or investigate us. One thing that they did do was they took the research from that very program, that very foundation. And the many of the psychologists and anthropologists that got grants said, this doesn't work. The torture doesn't work. We tried this and it didn't work. The CIA fucking took that and put it in Guantanamo. So all of that bullshit that happened there, that's the negative. Even though they said it didn't work, they still did it. Um, but the backlash would be Margaret Mead, um, inventions, I would say that she um, was a, probably a positive force. I'm sure Gregory Bateson believes he's a positive force with uh, what he did. Um, um, and then this this movement that was a spiritualist New Age movement. So those were backlashes. And somebody said, well, what, are you, what do we do now if all this stuff is happening? How do you cope? I said, it was like the best question. How do we cope knowing these kinds of things? And I was so inspired that one of the people in the um, room asked that. And I was like, well, I know what I do. When I was young, I wanted peace of mind, so I meditated. I got my peace of mind. I don't need to meditate anymore, but I still meditate as a tool to help me analyze society and as a kind of a blank infinity point to not feel restricted by control and to feel a sense of freedom and to be able to use it as a tool for thinking. And uh, then they were like, it kind of the conclusion was that maybe the only way to resist this power is by some form of inner life mysticism or spirituality, uh, on, not on a religious level, but on a personal engagement. Mm -hmm. So it was super interesting, Eugene. Uh, um, it sounds very interesting. It was very interesting. My paper, and then I presented on Cormac McCarthy, and it was physics and poetry, and I feel like it was super successful. I, I had a great time presenting our panel on the, it was so exciting. So the other part that just felt like I won the lottery was being able to finally talk to uh, about 20 of us about the new novels in a round table. The past. Oh, that must have been really fellow. exciting. Oh, it was very exciting. It was so good. And um, the McCarthy I, heads out there. Oh, yeah. There was a few of us out there. We had a great time and lots of good food. We went for French food. We went for uh, a beautiful restaurant that I completely forgotten the title of in Albuquerque. And it's in an adobe house that's been expanded. An original building expanded with just beautiful decor and the artwork was gorgeous in there 
Uh, we didn't do a lot of sightseeing because we didn't have the time. That's hence. But, but you did have a chance to meet up with someone who's going to be on our podcast very soon. Yes, that's Would you like right. Tell us a little bit about that. I would. It's Associate Professor Irma Icantu, and she can, is going to come and talk to us about Hispanic witches. So look for that episode called Hispanic Witches. Absolutely intriguing. Yes. And, and, and I'm well, going to say we actually just recorded uh, this episode <laughs> uh, earlier today. And, yes. you know, we're just going to have to like clean up the edges a little bit. And we're going to put this out as soon as possible as a special episode just with this interview. It is so fantastic. Um, it's not very often I say don't miss an episode. When this one comes out, make sure you hear it. It's this woman is incredible. Yes, she is. She's very incredible, charming, uh, well-researched, just a, a charismatic. Oh, I learned so much that you will too. So yeah. stay tuned for our uh, our upcoming episode about Hispanic witches. Right. I know something we don't want to forget about talking about today too is here it is coming up. Tomorrow is my pagan celebration. It's the Academy Awards, the Oscars. And a year ago, you never thought you would think about the Oscars. We ended up talking about the slap heard across the world. And last week, Chris Rock, being the genius he is, and understanding the adage, revenge is best served cold, he waited a fucking anniversary period, and he made his Netflix brilliant special. Oh, uh, yeah, he used fun. words instead of instead of a fist or a slap. And, yeah. man, what a smart guy, eh? That's Very the first smart. thing I was... I was listening to this and i just thought this guy is really brilliant because well, first every, of all he's, every... he's striking back with words not with not not with the slap but also at the core of this he was really educating us on four ways we get attention in our culture Good and those point. four ways are showing your ass <laughs> being infamous being excellent and playing the victim. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the core of the whole special. Um, yeah. Fantastic. Really, really, really interesting. And also entertaining. Um, some of the, some of the things that, that he said repeatedly, like last thing I need is another, another mad rapper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He doesn't need to make any more rappers angry. Oh my God, he was so brilliant. He was in perfect form. He was at the top of his game and he had a fire in him. Um, he was dressed in beautifully. I loved his shoes. And he had the stage and the rhythm. I mean, this man, every good comedian is is brilliant and smart and a genius. It, it goes with the territory. Um, they are able to tune into something that kicks through the uh, illusion of reality or what we think is reality and see the humor that we, we all know it in a way, but we don't know how to word it. Um, his, his jokes were hilarious. Um, what about um, a Jada Pinkett Smith? Because he kind of addressed her. Now Jada, P Jada Pinkett Smith, I had to tell a couple of friends, had slept with her son's best friend. She had an affair and she went on her podcast and on public social media and told people this. That's crazy. Mary, while married. Yeah, and, and as Chris Rock said, she hurt him way more than he hurt me. Yes. And he had another great line regarding this. She started it, I finished That's it. That's right, I finished it, yes. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, I do recommend it. I would say if our next podcast with Hispanic witches is a must see, Chris Rock's stand up is yeah. a must see. I also it, really enjoyed him talking about the thoughtful company Lululemon um, coming out with their <laughs> their non racist yoga pants oh for a hundred dollars, and 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 his comment was most people I know would rather have, would rather have the twenty dollar racist yoga pants. <laughs> so funny. Uh, I I mean it's so funny. I'll take the twenty dollar racist pants. Absolutely, so funny. Oh my god. Yes, and also coming up at the Oscars, you know when it came out. We watched everything everywhere all at once. And we said, it's going to be the one nominated for all the Oscars. And I it is, we called win. it. I think it's going to win. I think it's going to win too. Uh, yeah. Sheila caught something in the, uh, in the, the Toronto star on Friday. Oh, okay. Uh, and she saved it for me for the podcast. Good. So special Good. agent Sheila, thank you. Thank you. Special um, agent. It's an article by Peter Howell. Um, uh, the headline is from tiny festival film to Oscar favorite. And he quotes from um, the question and answer session after the uh, premiere of the film. Um, and I'm just going to read this little quote because I thought it was fantastic. And it really gives some insight into the oddball ways that art is made. You know, art is not a linear kind of deal. It, no. it, it, you know, the most interesting art comes, comes about in ways that you would least expect. Um, here's a here's a little excerpt. We used to do a lot of music videos, and we would get rejected a lot, said Shineart, who together with creative partner Quad has explored weird tales and absurd characters for more than a decade. And we had all these leftover ideas. So we were like, let's make a movie with everything in it so we can use up those all those things that Rihanna said no to. Wow. I love that. Yes, and and nobody nobody thought this movie was going to be popular, but um, it's really caught fire. I think, and people, well, everybody who watches it, I think, tells their friends. You just got to see this. Definitely, you know, I went to a bakery in a small town in Tennessee, and they had googly eyes all over the the register. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's really you know exciting. And plus, how well, how can a film that has that has Jamie Lee Curtis with hot dog fingers not be fantastic. <laughs> How can it not be fantastic? And I would say that that actually really is interesting because it proves something about um, it, it. The movie obviously deals with a multiverse and many dimensions, and it doesn't concern itself with a traditional plot. And it has the cut-up style. It has a collage feel to it. And no wonder, because it's their outtakes or their mental inspiration from doing music videos. Yes, I, I just love that. All the stuff that kept getting rejected. What yeah. can we do with it? Yeah. Well, make the best film of the year, of course. That's oh, what you, you do know with what? it. It's really funny, because I really wanted to make a video with Nash the Slash. And I had I had been a bartender of his in the neighborhood and a, and a kind of a pal with Nash, the slash musician who passed away a couple of years ago, very good friends with our, one of our agents, Dr. K. And I, I had written a script, a script, a script um, really about paleontology. I had, um, you know, time travel <laughs> and it was all very visual and we just, we just didn't make it. It just didn't happen. But I still think, what can I do with this? You know? So it's, it's still there. It just because you didn't make something or it gets produced doesn't mean it sucked. It doesn't mean anything. It means it's a it's a it's a, we need all the images and all the ideas again to resist AI.
So great. I'm gl- I'm I'm looking forward to it this week. Now listen, I'm in I'm in a position where um this has never happened to me before. I have watched the Oscars on the day it happens all of my life. All of my me- memory that I could be old enough to watch the Oscars. I'm not going to probably tomorrow night because I have to go to bed early because Stag and I are driving to Canada. And yay! I have to- yay, I could get up very early. We're going to do some things for uh March break with our family. And uh, we're going to go see the Kent Monkman show, which we can talk about in a future episode. Oh, yes. Must, a must-see. And it's only on for a, a short while longer uh, at the Royal Tour Museum, the ROM, the 19th. Right, exactly. Yeah, so get out there and see it, all yes. you Torontonians. Yes. It is uh, the must-see art show of the year in Toronto. Yes. yes. One of my daughter's friends took her Indigenous uh, son to see it, and they wore a tuxedo because they were going to an art show. Oh. And they were seven years old. Oh, that's, that's beautiful. I know it's so beautiful. And we're gonna take our um our young um grandson, so he's gonna go with us. So we could have some interesting discussions with uh him on Monday or Tuesday when we go. So um yes, that's why we are like we really probably shouldn't be doing a, a crazy trip like this after coming off of another one, but it's down to the wire. We really want to see it in this uh capacity at the museum. It's not in an art gallery. It's in a museum that is part of colonization. So that's going to tie in with part of this uh, experience. Yes, it's very, it's very timely because museums across the world now are coming to terms with what do we do? What do we do with all this stuff that we stole? Yes, exactly. When, how do we give it back? When do we give it back? What don't we give back? Right. What should we have? It's right. a big question for museums. Should museums, what should they be for? It questions all of that. Yes, you know, it's funny, my sister was in town, um, I, I, I'm going to say now, almost five years ago. And of course, uh, she studied anthropology. So one of her co-workers where she works um, said she needs to go and see the field museum and the exhibits. We went, but I'll tell you, at least three of them were had brown paper over saying these are being addressed about the appropriateness of them being in the, uh, in the uh, museum. Well, it's yeah, it's fascinating to me, especially because I always love museums because yes. it gives you a taste of the world. Uh, especially growing up before the internet, it's a chance <laughs> to to see things without travel. Right, in a way, I was, guess a, was fantastic. I, but yeah, I guess a natural museum is like the internet back in the day. <laughs> yes, in a way, it, it it is, and but now where we live in a world museum with everything at our fingertips, maybe it's time to give some of this stuff back. And let's give back the whales too, motherfuckers. I'm heartbroken. I was crying oh, for Oh, the whale at, at Marie Land. I know. I, an hour. We, we really don't need to put whales in tanks. Let's just stop oh. this, people. And coming from Vancouver, I feel like I knew her, you know? I just heartbroken. One time we went to go to the aquarium and Suzanne, if you're listening, I'm going to tell the story. And I don't know if I've told it here before, so forgive me. But we're going to go see the aquarium. And I was like, yeah, I guess we will. You know, you have mixed feelings. Because if you're in Vancouver, you can see whales in the ocean. Uh, if you take the ferry, you're going to see a pod swim by. It's not uncommon. And it's very precious, no matter how many times you see it. It's so beautiful. I've looked whales right in the eye, sitting in the ocean in a boat. And it's profound. They're They're saying, hey, man. Um, so anyway, um, we went to see this and it got canceled. It was at the end of the day and they said, we can't do the show. We were in a huge lineup. We, the whale doesn't want to do the show. And we listened to what the whale wants to do. And uh, she doesn't want to perform today. 
And the people behind us were like, we've stood it. And Suzanne and I were like, okay, well, you know, of course. And the people behind a big family said, but we want to see the show. Um, you know, we want to see this. And they said, well, it's, it's an animal and we want to respect her. And they said, well, we're animals too. Yeah. So there you go. Which Suzanne and I said for years to each other, well, we're animals too for years about it's called yeah. entitlement. Anyway, yeah. Kiska passed away yesterday and I am very sorry, much love. And this, this, this woman, she's going to rest in peace. Now this goddess is going to rest in peace. I hope. And be with her family on the other side in the multiverse. Speaking of resting in peace, I just wanted to acknowledge uh, ah, the passing I, of a friend. Yes, Miles, yes. I'm sorry, I'm kind of welling up here. I am too. I um, am too. You know, I talked on this podcast about going on nature walks mm -hmm. with a naturalist named Miles Hearn, who mm -hmm. passed away February 25th, a short uh, illness with cancer. And yeah. he's a... There aren't too many people I know who I could say I'm really privileged to know. Uh, he was an active working musician, played with symphonies, sang in the Mendelssohn Choir. He even backed up Michael Jackson and the Jackson Five once. Oh uh, active musician for 30 years, um, became a teacher, retired from teaching, and started a new career as a, as a naturalist, um, leading adult walks. And I started years ago going on walks with this guy. Yeah. And he would just wander around talking about the birds he heard, the birds he saw, the plants he saw, the world around us. And he used to say, if you want to learn this stuff, start outside your front door. Look around your yard. Identify. Learn to identify the birds you see around your yard. Learn to identify the plants. And then go a little bit further afield. One of the most remarkable people I've ever met. And uh, he's irreplaceable. I don't know what they're going to do with those nature walks because... Well, the nature walks were really experiencing a little taste of of the wonder that was Miles Hearn. So very well, that's very sad for me. I uh I really liked the guy tremendously, he meant a lot to me, and it's uh it's really sad he's gone. It is very sad. So I think we'll dedicate this episode to Miles and Kiska. Okay. Both both great naturalists. Um Oh, I, I also, we were talking earlier about uh, resistance. Yes. I wanted to talk about another little cultural phenomena that uh, I, I saw um, a few nights ago with uh, the night of the big snowstorm we had with my yes. friend Ted. Yes. Uh, we went to see Daka Braca. Oh. And Daka Braca, Ted and I started listening to Daka Braca about two years ago. Okay. And, you know, we said to each other, Ted is a guy I play music with regularly. Right. We said to each other, if they ever come to, to town, we've got to go see them. Yeah. Uh, they're, um, and they, Ted found out months and months ago they were coming, and he got a second row seats wow. uh, at Kerner Hall, which is just the best venue in Toronto. If you've mm. ever been there, it's acoustically top rate. The seats are great. It's just a fabulous place at the Royal Conservatory of Music. Mm. And Daka Braca is a four-piece uh, a, a quartet. Um, it's been referred to as uh, Ukrainian ethnic chaos. Uh, <laughs> it's been referred to as a world music based on uh, a traditional Ukrainian music. Right, did Sheila go too? Uh, Sheila didn't come. Okay, uh, it was just Ted and I went to this one, okay. and uh, we went out. We we had the presence of mind to take the subway 
uh, because <laughs> when we got out of it, there was four inches of snow, and you oh. just driving from the subway station back to Long Branch was near okay. impossible. But you know what we hadn't expected. You know, we had we had started listening to Daka Braka before the Russians invaded Ukraine. And yes. now they've become a different kind of ambassador uh, for Ukraine, a cultural ambassador. They've started to add visuals to the to their show. And well, first I should digress and say they did first song, a real percussion-oriented tune. And at the end of it, um, one of the players, there's three three women and one man, the, the male performer um said uh Hi, we're Daka Braka from Free Ukraine. Uh -huh. Yeah. And during it, there was visuals of, you know, bombed out towns. And then you'd see in giant, giant, like 10 foot lettering across the hall, stand with Ukraine. Oh, I'm sorry. Russia is a terrorist state and arm Ukraine now. Yeah. I hadn't, I hadn't expected that. Right. Uh, I don't know why I hadn't expected it, but I hadn't expected it. It was very moving. The the people there were totally in support. And, you know, as as the audience cheered, the players just put their hands on their hearts. Mm. Very, very beautiful. Yeah. Uh, plus, musically, impeccable, genius. <laughs> I've never heard really anything quite like them. Uh, just most interesting uh, performance. You should check them out. There's lots of their performances are on the YouTube and you can watch a whole Daka Braka concert. And I think you're going to really appreciate them. Uh, for our listeners out there, check them out. They're really good. Um, you had mentioned something from to think about uh, maybe the context of what kind of war music. I don't know how you phrased it before the other day. Well, yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't thought of them in, in that context before. And then during, when we saw them during the war, I thought in a way, this is, it's war, wartime art, it's war art. Um, right. Much like wartime paintings we saw in, in, in the second world war. Um, and it's, it's war Thanks. art coming from a people who are in danger of having their entire culture obliterated. And these guys are traveling the world saying, Hey, don't tell us there's no Ukrainian culture. Mm -hmm. We're it, man. And we, you know, it wasn't that long ago. We also interviewed the fellow from the Kubasonics, our right. Newfoundland party Ukrainian band. Right, right. That's right. You know, and we're seeing uh, Ukrainian culture around the world. Um, and the persistence of it, I think, just says in the face of all the terror and death and horror of war, it's saying we're still here and we're still fighting for our culture and our history. It's very, very powerful. Extremely yeah, I, powerful. It's 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 challenging to me because I'm anti-war, and um, well, me, yes, of course. I, I, that, you know, that's the, that's I mean, the the paradox, isn't it? I certainly felt passion when the war started, and you see grandmas, babushkas getting you know, getting armed up and everything. And I I understand that. I I'm not saying not to, but it it is I. I I, I think it's just a fucking crime that we can't do this without this. Yes. That's the paradox because I mean, I don't want war either. And I, there isn't much that would call me to, to, to that, to that kind of stance. Um, but we're seeing a culture that, that their next door neighbors are trying to eradicate. 
pretend it didn't exist. It's just well, so terrifying. Right. Well, and especially it's it's the totalitarian leader that's trying to do it yes. more than anything. It's it's not the Russian people. I, I understand that the Russian people are protesting. Yes, and many people just don't know what's really going on as well. Well, there's that too, yeah. Um, yeah, heartbreaking and very fascinating time that you got to see some real history happening there. And a response, you know, definitely, definitely. I also wanted to uh, mention something that uh, I saw in the news uh -huh. uh, just recently, which um, uh, relates to something we talked about on an earlier podcast. Um, there was eight people were arrested on March 1st um, in the Thunder Bay area and other places. Uh, and they were arrested for uh, 40 charges, but they were all around fraud and art forgery. And I started reading the article and listening on the news and, and I thought, wait a minute, I know about this yes. because we've talked about a documentary that we saw um, called There Are No Fakes, which was from 2019, which was right. all about this. And it turns out that what happened was um, a Thunder Bay policeman who was investigating the death of a man named Scott Dove was contacted by Dove's mother who said, have you seen there are no fakes because there's information about my son's murder in this, uh, in this um, documentary. And so this policeman watched the documentary, I guess him and his partner watched the documentary and said something to the effect of, oh my God, we have to look into this. Yeah. Uh, and they started to look into it and they, they started to immediately encounter the problem. How can we tell what's fake and what's real? And mm -hmm. what there's a number of things that, that uh, complicate things. Uh, the documentary was the, the uh, documentary was about forgery of, of the work of the uh, Ontario woodland school so-called woodland school okay. artist norvell morisot right. um uh who was still well, alive when the documentary uh came out oh no sorry that's not true he was he died in in uh in 2007 at okay. uh at age 75 okay i um, love his work yeah, and so do a lot of people, and yeah, they, they're unfortunately loving a lot of work, which yes. it turns out isn't his. And the documentary started with Kevin Hearn from the Bare Naked Ladies. Uh, who, yeah. He complained uh, that uh, a so-called Morisot that he bought may have been a fake. And that's all gone through the courts, and he's now yeah. been awarded $60,000. He got paid back his money he lost, yes. Yes. Um, and we're... Um, we're, we now know that there were three distinct interconnected groups of forgers. <laughs> it's insane. The it's first insane. one was from 1996 okay. started and it was like an assembly line of uh -huh. Morriso makers. And there's some suggestion that there may have been child labor involved in creating Correct. these Morisos. I thought there might even be other child abuse. It, uh, in the documentary, there was something that was triggering me. They're certainly giving people drugs and that, that kind of thing. Right, and I thought the, there might have been sexual abuse involved in that. It was Maybe. And we, we should also say that what complicates it is that Morisot didn't keep very good inventory. Sure. Uh, he had uh, mental health issues and oh. addiction issues of various 
uh, of various kinds and sometimes would make paintings and give them away for milk and bread and booze. Oh, yeah. um, and so he had no idea how many paintings he made. And I could tell you, I've spent most of my adult life painting and I don't have the problems that he had. And I can't remember a lot of my paintings. And oh, yeah. in fact, me you either. could show me a painting and say that I did it 30 years ago. And some of them, yeah, I would know for sure. Yeah. Some of them, I, I'm not sure. Yeah. Maybe I could have. I'm, yeah. I'm not sure. <laughs> Might have been a bad day. No. Yeah, Joe and Scott have a little paint, a drawing of mine. And every time I see it at their house, I'm like, oh my God, I know that's mine. That's freaking me out. <laughs> oh, yes. And we have one of Stag's paintings attached to our shed that he doesn't remember making. <laughs> he did it that's one day awesome. in my studio and just left it there. And it's a fucking self-portrait, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, these things happen. So there was another group in 2002 that used talented Indigenous artists hmm? creating Morisot's, including Morisot's nephew. Hey, keep it okay. in the family. And then a third group that started in 2008. And there have been all kinds of legal rumblings around this because the people who were selling the fakes were Police very stopped. litigious because they, they knew it was very oil. difficult to prove the forgeries but the cops found a combination of experts and very sophisticated carbon dating that could date paintings from after Morisot's death and so they've seized over a thousand paintings and they think there's a lot more out there. And so they're telling people, if you have a Morisot painting and you have some doubt as to its authenticity, and keep in mind, the same people were also creating and selling fake certificates of authenticity. Oh, yeah. I mean, those those snakes that were doing the auctions, they just were hideous scum. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so all these paintings from private collections and galleries have now been seized. And it, and they're saying, if you have one of these paintings that's in some doubt, first talk to your lawyer, then talk to us. <laughs> right. Uh, so it this is another case in which um, uh, a documentary, a true crime documentary yes. has spurred an investigation that has led to arrest. This oh, seems to happen course. over and over and over again. Wonderful. The cops need the filmmakers, man. They need the <laughs> artists out there to find Life the evildoers. Life follows art. Yeah. Yeah. I um, love it. So fascinating to uh, to see that. And, you know, it's 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 good to see these guys get busted. Yeah. Uh, but it raises questions to me about people who are buying the Morisot. What are they buying? Are you buying a picture you love? Mm -hmm. Are you buying the name of the leader of the Woodland School? Uh, I don't think he would think of himself that way. I don't think so either. Uh, it doesn't sound very natural. Um, yes. What, are you buying status? Are you buying something because you're passionate about that? Or because you oh. want to support Indigenous artists from Ontario? Or local artists, however you frame it, exactly, yeah. exactly. Uh, um, so it's, it's, I think that's always a, a real but, big question: when people buy art, what is that game? And more and more, as I get older, I think that game of buying and selling art has very little to do with what I've been after as a painter for the last thirty years. Absolutely, because um, first of all, it's right back to what I we said about the abstract expressionists. Why do we want that? Art is a way to make money disappear. 
And so you you cannot, it's so difficult. It certainly made my money disappear over the years. <laughs> um, what you want to do, I heard a forger the other day, is that what forgery does and what artists are doing, not forgers, what artists are doing is we're trying to steal a little space on a rich person's wall. I thought that was great. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yes, and, you so know, I've often thought that if somebody wanted to forge my work, or even steal my work. I yeah. think I'd be kind of happy about it. You know what? <laughs> because have... it raises the status of 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 uh, or the legitimacy of what I've done as an artist. Right. Well, I have had a piece of art stolen. Um, I had sold it to a friend in New York City. His name is Leaf, and he was moving and was carrying things out onto the sidewalk as we've all done in a busy urban setting. And someone stole this painting I had made, and it was on hardboard. It's oil painting. I have one that's very similar to it, but it was a transitional painting for me. One of those paintings that went between one world of issues I was interested in into the next. Yes. And it was very sentimental to me for that reason. But I felt, wow, my painting has been stolen. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, on the other hand, a number of years ago, we used to have a lot of paintings in storage before we decided that we weren't going to pay someone who runs storage units anymore. Right. Uh, and so we we ended up giving away a lot of paintings yeah. and uh, destroying a lot of paintings uh, because we just weren't going to pay that that uh, fine anymore. Like yeah. to, the the fine for creating work is you have to pay to store it. It was just too brutal because even when we had good years, we couldn't sell nearly the number of paintings that we that we made. Well, one year, the the storage unit that Sheila and I both had units in many years ago, they broke into a whole bunch of units and they broke, including Sheila's. They didn't touch the <laughs> And they didn't touch the paintings, didn't steal anything. It's <laughs> heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. That just that's just sad. That's support your local artists, people. Yeah. You know, it's but you know, this comes up forgery is one of fake forgery is one of my very favorite topics in the whole world of art history. I love it because not only what are you buying is if you buy a fake and no one can tell it's fake. Is it a it, fake? Isn't it real art? Yeah. I mean, it's all real art. Of course it's yeah. all real art. In the same way that AI is stealing images to make images and claim to be art, a, a forger is doing the same thing. But Michelangelo himself had to learn and rip off his teachers in order to become Michelangelo. And we all are in the uh, process of ripping off and, and, and we're like vampires that eat the images, eat the content. Well, well and, yes. And, and only in today's ultra capitalist society, can you have, can you have this, this kind of system where, how should I put it? Um, Take your time. We're only doing a podcast. We're only doing a podcast. <laughs> We're only doing oh. a podcast. We're only recording this. Don't worry about it. <laughs> okay. I'm teasing you. Um, I'm sorry. I lost my train of thought, as, you, as you're as you aware. Yes. As I was uh, coming out with this train of thought, it it kind of it hit interference. Oh, it happens to me all the time. So the it's about forgery. It's about art. It's about where it's going. It'll come back to you. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So what is forgery? I mean, why... You know, it is wrong to rip off somebody who's working their life and maybe selling art or a dead artist and their estate or wherever it's going is who should make money on art anyway. Should it go beyond the artist? 
Well, I think also the other thing and what I was going to say was it's also about who owns it. And let's think about folk music. When folk music was folk music, meaning we own this stuff together, right? Um, It doesn't, a corporation doesn't own it. A band doesn't own it. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, then it was okay to reuse lyrics So how many folk songs use dig my grave with a silver spade? I don't know. Thousands. Right. Um, How, and then you get someone like Woody Guthrie who freely um, would take uh, melodies that everyone knew, like took Wabash Cannonball and created the completely brilliant Grand Coulee Dam. Yeah. You know, which to this day, I I still remember it. I probably quoted this on this podcast before, but I'm going to do it again. Um, if he didn't, if he didn't take Wabash Cannonball and do Grand Coulee Dam, we wouldn't have in the misty crystal glitter of the wild and windward spray. Men have fought the pounding waters and met a watery grave. Though she tore their boats to splinters, she gave men dreams to dream of the day the Coulee Dam would cross the wild and the wild and something stream. I don't remember that. I missed one word. And of yes. course, now we have a different view. Now we're saying, oh, dams are bad, man. They're, look what they're doing to the fish. But at that time, dams meant electricity, which yeah. meant a better life. Yeah. It also does have in it a, a feeling of that the dam is going to go back to nature too. I think in those lyrics, there is a suggestion that it's 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 going to take men's lives, not just when they're near it, but when it breaks, you know? Oh, and take men, men's lives to try to cross it and build the right. dam across it. Right. So right. Um, my, my point, though, is that it's okay to do that in folk music because we own it together. But the second a corporation owns it, well, then it's like you can't have... Um, you can't have my sweet Lord because it uses, obviously uses the melody to, to do run, run. Right. right, um, right. But I mean, that's <laughs> wrong, but Woody Guthrie is right. Yeah. No, how can that be? How, how do you, yeah. how do we reconcile that? If it's, I think the, the system is what's wrong. Well, yeah, it's a system of, of ownership and privatization and legal laws and, and profit and capitalism. I, I don't know how that would ever you know, you know, and, and we say like bands will say, oh, you stole you stole my riff. So I'm going to sue you because you stole my riff. But right. they're all playing the same three blues chords that they stole from black Americans in the 20s and 30s. Well, that's true. It's true. It's it's you know, it's not easy. I, I'm always amazed that people can still find new melodies. It's to me, that's mind blowing. I mean, Taylor Swift knocks them out like uh, like amazing. I, I'm like, wow, where is it? Do you? And I'm assuming they have a machine to check it. <laughs> there must be an algorithm where you play your melody and you make sure it doesn't sound like somebody else's. Well, and also there's so many people making fantastic music, but yeah. only a tiny select elite few get to be part of the game. Right. Because just right- like it, just like with artists, only a small elite few get to be part of that crazy game in which art prices are ridiculously escalated and um there's uh, myths are created around the artists because that's where the money is that's where the money is and that's where the money is they want to keep the money there the people that are rich like that they don't want other people to have that kind of access to making money disappear 
They don't want that. And, you know, that's the, that's the other part of the forgery story is, you know, uh, listen, I love that guy from um, Bare Naked Ladies. He's a lovely, lovely human. Um, Kevin Hearn. Um, I used to serve him when I worked in a deli and he's just a sweet person. And never mind the fact that they're just great musician. And, um, you know, you don't want him ripped off. He meant to do something interesting. He wanted to get involved in, in understanding art and looking at it. And we want everyone to. But this kind of shit, that this these corrupt auctioneers in Ontario, what they've done is they've continued the fear of regular people buying art. So yes, of course. You... And as it is, we face the, the problem that we face throughout modernism, which is the idea that artists are scoundrels and scallywags and charlatans. Yes, and that goes back to the... My kid could make this painting. Right, but that does go back to the history of magic because magicians, painters, theater people are all in the job of illusion making and writers. We are making and creating an illusion. We work in the art of, in the science of misdirection. That's, that's our job. But it's a misdirection that gives you something initiatory, magical, yes. transcendent. And, 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 and science cannot articulate justice, truth, love. It takes art to tell us about the meaning of life, right? Right. To tell us about the meaning of the, of the, the nature of the universe, even. Science, science is way behind us. Um, so you want that, but what you want is you want everyone to have the feeling of excitement about that. People do consume art. They are consuming en masse pop art, comic books, tattoos, movies, but they are not on trend to consume um, the more classical arts like sculpture and paintings. They're afraid of it still because it has been co-opted by charlatans. Well, yes, it's also been, it's, well, it's been co-opted by um industry the music industry in part um yeah. who have and i've mentioned this before is that they've co-opted the name artist yeah well, now if you that. say well, tell me your three favorite artists right. what are you going to get back you're going to get back you're going to get like bon jovi and taylor swift and uh sure. beyonce or well, whatever you mean you're going to get pop stars I, and I don't have a problem with that. From the beginning of record making and recording, they were called recording artists. I don't have a problem with that. that oh, didn't... but it's a different, it's a shift. It's a big shift in our lifetime from being recording artists to artists. When I was a kid, there were, like, I remember my mom, she used to say, when I said, you know, mom, I want to be an artist. She said, do you mean an artist or a sculptor? <laughs> So she had, so to her, an artist. So your long-term resentment of sculpture started then. Huh? It was, it was specifically <laughs> painting was what artists yeah. did. Um, sure. And I mean, then I met Bloor who didn't call himself an artist. He called himself a painter. Sure. But what we also are looking at right now, and you see this all the time in, um, in dialogue is that generous term creatives. I used to not like that name, but I, Ooh, do. I hate that term. I understand why you do, but it's the universalness of it because we've got something, we've got Adam Andy on here and how long did it take for the quilting arts to be recognized as, as something using your imagination. And to me, a, a creative is part of the, uh, of the induction industrial structure. Oh, look, we need the creatives. We need to have the creatives around. I understand that in terms of, of corporations talking about it for sure. I get that. But the point really did not probably come from that. It came from trying to have um, an interdisciplinary respect for um, art forms that were not recognized before. 
Is that fair? Well, yes. And and also out of that same idea came a term I dislike even more, which is the term <laughs> art worker. Yeah. I, it's yeah, like, please don't, worker. I don't even know what an art worker is, but I know whatever it is, it ain't me because uh, no one's giving me a wage. I'll take, I'll, if someone wants to give me a wage for the amount of work I've put in over the last 30 years as a painter, I'll take McDonald's wage. Just give me a lump sum. Thank you very much. I think it's just something, you know, right now, you know, we're talking about words. Here we have, Chris Rock talks about words. We are living in a hyperculture where yesterday what we said is not acceptable today. And well, what that's we, true. And what we said yesterday is now acceptable. It, it goes back and forth. It can go either way. So when we have that, yes, I love that we have the fine tuning. I don't like the word uh, artist for a musician. I don't like this. And, and it, it, it gets on my cross sometimes too. Um, I would like to take it to the point that we're just trying to find out. And actually, the word artist doesn't isn't just for musician. It doesn't yeah. mean musician. It means someone who has a recording contract and is not just a musician, but is a musician who is part of that elite group I'm going to call the game. Yeah, I got you. I'm, I'm with you 100%. That game is also happening in art history. It also yeah, So really, what I'm talking about is the destructive effects of marketing. Yes, and capitalism, absolutely. Where And that's the problem, is that they want to have the secret language, the special terminology, the technical language of art history, historically correct. Whether you're a musician or an artist or a painter or a, whatever you are, a sculptor, we'll call them artists too. And Yeah, um, we will. I think we could call them artists. And um, quilters. Just for fun. And fabric artists and pottery playworks i mean the reason they're being called creatives right now is because it is different than than uh, there there is way. a positive reason to yes. to have a broader word um so that so that you could be inclusive i, I completely get that it probably doesn't feel good when someone feels that they've been shafted from their their dedication to be an artist and there's still nothing any kind of credibility for it there still isn't. You still can't make enough money. You just don't know how to find an audience and a rapport to have your neighbors be interested in owning your artwork, to have so what, your uh, city own your artwork. One of the people accused of being part of this uh, art forgery ring, or one of the three rings, is a fellow named uh, Ben Morisot, I believe, who is a nephew of Morisot. And I guess for him, mm -hmm. he couldn't be an artist. Mm -hmm. not doing Morisos because he didn't have access to that game. He didn't have access to the club. But yeah. if he's doing, he's making Morisos, he's an artist. And I would like to say, yes, he is. I would like to say that for me, he was the most, um, I, I felt, I, 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 I feel like he was the less culpable out of all the people involved. Um, one, when you don't have that funds for that kind of legal protection, nothing's going to your estate nothing's being protected yeah if and also are, he's a guy trying to trying to scrape together food on the table and all of the artists that we know of from the byzantine oh fuck it not even byzantine we can look at all kinds of art history and there's a community of people that teach each other and mentor each other to to take that on and make it their own. So in a way, he was force-fed into that. He was kind of forced by his addiction, by these culprits, that they could feel less guilty because he truly did sign his own name, Morris, 
So, so it was almost like it wasn't fraud. You know what I mean? So it, I thought his, his position was a little less disturbing than some of the other players. You know, in this context, a really interesting, a really interesting book, book to read or a film to see might be to revisit the horse's mouth. Um, either the book by Joyce Carey um, or the movie about Gully Jimson, an artist who forged his own works because he was <laughs> stuck in time. He could only sell the works that he made in a yeah. certain period. You yes, know, it rem- reminds me of that Bob Dylan song where, where he sings about being like a statue stuck in the Louvre and you just can't move, you know? Yep. Yep. And Joni Mitchell wrote a line um, or she said something in one of her concert albums everyone's calling out name with songs for her to play. She goes, well, nobody called out for Vincent Van Gogh. Hey man, paint a story, story night again. That's right. Sometimes they get sick of playing their songs. Well, that's, that's the challenge because if you're part of the game, you're expected to provide product. And if you have the nerve to provide product that doesn't meet the criteria, which is sounding just like the previous product, uh, then, well, you can't be part of the game. And so again, when, when you had you people signed up for the devil's work, you did, you signed up for it. And the devil wasn't at the crossroads. It was at the record executives company or the gallery owners company. Yeah, I know. And I've they, been waiting, you know, know I'm trying know. to learn the fiddle. I've been waiting for that knock on the door. Mm-hmm. I know. <laughs> you know, I, I think of that, that, uh, that uh, Bruce McDonald film, highway 61, where yes. the devil plays bingo and I throws throws the uh, toaster oven into trash on his way out the door. We were just talking about that movie the other day. That's funny. That's great. I'd love to see that one again. That was yeah, a wonderful too. film. I would do it? a double bill with that and Dogma. Maybe uh, when you're in town, we could do some watching and uh, do some episodes about them. We'll see if we can. Yeah, I may be a little, you know, in got to hang out with the fam, but we're going to work out something. We'll work out something. We might just may to- not let you go back. It might have to be at 10 in the morning. That's all. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Okay, good. Yeah. These good days, day. I get up plenty early, you know. I know. I'm getting up Because we have the Bonster. Yeah. Bonaventure yeah. there who uh, yes. who yes. likes to go for her big runs early in yes. the morning. Hey, you know what? There's somebody, and I meant to post about this on Facebook, just on my thing, is that Burt Bacharach died too. Oh, yes, he did. One thing I really, I, I love his music, but one thing about his music is that he appealed to a lot of different people, like even the punk rockers like Burt Bacharach, let's say, right? It wouldn't be uncommon that you couldn't take that pop culture well, and, sure. and I mean, it as a country artist. I think of, and later they ended up collaborating, but I think Correct. of that that album, Stiff's Live, where yes. Elvis Costello sings the most wonderful, crazy, ironic version of I just don't know what to do with myself. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, so he was such an incredible artist that he he had, uh, you know, universal music in many, many ways. Um, and I, I've meant to post something or say something about that. I'm just checking our list. So we did talk about that movie, again, that we talked about, about the um, forgery. It was called There Are No Fakes. That's right. That's very interesting. Got to keep that in there. Um, oh, you know what else I wanted to talk about? What? What? Have you been watching Shrinking? Yes, I have, but not Shrinking? much. Wanna, we talked about it last time, but I haven't watched any more episodes since Oh, then. okay. So I'll let, let's wait until All you right. watch more, and then we'll talk about it. I am right. loving every episode of this, because for the first time in a long time, mm-hmm. I've watched something that you might call like a sitcom I know. that's written for adults. 
Andromeda. that's actually reasonably sophisticated and has smart, well-developed characters. Yep. Like, wow. And Harrison Ford is great <laughs> in it. Isn't he great in it? He is great wow. in it. Wow. Really is. So watch more and then we'll All we'll right, get back I to will. That. We'll, we'll continue that discussion. And I've got a couple of movies I want you to watch. If our listeners haven't watched Midsummer, this is a cult classic word of mouth film. Um, it's Swedish made, and I really recommend it. It's about a it's going to be a little bit like The Wicker Man. It's a folk horror, and uh, we'll talk about that maybe in the future. Okay, Eugene, I want you to get that on your list. It's on my list. Yeah, and I'm also going to try and watch The Witch. I was really afraid to because I'm afraid of the scariness, but I'm going to make an effort to watch The Witch. Okay. And, um, oh, I've got a couple of other movies for you. A Study in Time, A Study in Terror, From Hell, and Time After Time. Okay, those ones are because we're going to have one of our special agents, Sarah, come on and talk to us about uh, the era of Jack the Ripper. And oh, nice. um, I always wanted to grow up to be a Ripperologist, so I'm kind of excited. That's so quite a now word. you've got such a watch list. Oh, I know. I'll, and now maybe I'll watch some with you too. Yes, and we also have had a uh, uh, we have had a request from. Um, one of our one of our special agents, Dr. K. Cyanide, has said, "Have what did you guys think of the movie?" He assumed we had both seen it right, of the movie right. News of the World, and right, neither so we'll, of us had seen it. We'll so talk I, about that next time. Yes, so I have now, and you're going to see it yeah. in Canada. Yeah. And then at some point, we're going to corner Dr. K. We'll go to his yeah. office and we'll corner him, and uh, he can ask us personally what we thought of the movie, totally. and we can tell him all about it. I like doing this, because now we can have, some of our listeners can, if they have time, they can maybe watch it before the episode springs on them and does spoilers, so maybe this is a fun idea. Yes, and we still, know. by the way, just because we took know. a little hiatus, hiatus doesn't mean we don't like emails. We love, we love to get emails, and you can send them to theagency.podcast at gmail.com. Please, just anything. Just let us know what's going on and what you want to tell us or complain or 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 argue or not or give us suggestions. We'll try. Yeah. And actually we should we have to sign into our email because I believe we have an email to read. Okay. I'm gonna try and do that right now. See if you can get in there. Um, it, we have an email from Andy. Oh, I love it. Oh yeah, we gotta read that. Thank God we this what well, we because this is why we write a list sometimes. Sometimes that's our research is we have we have sort of a, a list scrawled in a notebook. And right. uh, somehow or other it's coherent enough that we have a conversation. Right. Now I just have to uh well here we go. Andy, Andy, Andy. Okay, here we go. Okay. Hi, Andy. Hi, Candy and Eugene and Stag. Wow, Stag gets in there too. This is, thank you, Andy. Um, I enjoyed your most recent podcast episode. It was nice to hear your voices again, and I'm glad to hear that Bonnie joined Eugene's family. Smiley face. I like the discussion of quilting and fiber art. I once had some professional involvement with quilters and very much admire them. Adamandia was a great guest, and I really like her quilts. I used secondhand yarn to make the woven wall hanging pictured below, which I just a few weeks ago. I like how using found materials kind of feels like the world has a say in the choices being made. Well, it's beautifully said. Below is a close-up of a little weaving I made with some art yarn. I traded a spinner for at a shop called Wool Exchange in my hometown in Wisconsin. I traded a bunch of my mom's old yarn for it. I love the texture of weaving with chunky wool yarn. 
She also spun the green-purple yarn I used in this one that is three-dimensional like a little sculpture. On the sh shopping front, I have been browsing Joann's for some colorful fabric. Oh, tell me about Joann's. To stretch or some particle board to hang on the wall in the bedroom. My apartment is very beige, uh, smiley face. I haven't decided which one to get yet, but I'm leaning toward the first one, which is kind of reminds me of the light from a colorful Turkish lamp. And we've got lots of photos here. Oh my God, tons of photos. I, we're going to have to ask Andy if we can share them. On the media front, you're mentioning Natasha Leone reminded me that I had watched, but I'm a cheerleader a while back. It's a surprising fun movie, considering it's about kind of a heavy topic. Natasha Leone is a lot of fun to watch in that role. Smiley face. Also, regarding poker, there's a great poker scene in Outer Range, which is a series I liked. The show takes a bit of to get going, but in the middle and end of the season are good, and I guess there's a second season coming, thank goodness. Not a perfect show, but highly recommended. I watched The Devil Life of Veronica last night. Wow, I don't even know what to say. European art films can be hit or miss for me, but this was a definite hit. Candy, your paper for the conference is exciting and evocative. It reminds me of a class I had in college that was about the linguistic analysis of literature. It felt to me as if the linguistics approach is more mathematical. What with all the patterns and the mystery of how language works and such, I think it's so cool that you do the Southwest Conference every year. Congratulations for doing all that amazing work for the presentation. Oh, and since Eugene has been known to do some trout fishing, I'm including a picture of a fly that my 10-year-old nephew and I tied together. He's a natural. It's a nice fly. It looks like a black-nosed dace. Beautiful. Keep up the good work, agents, and I hope to see you in the in the near and hear you soon. Best Andy. Holy shit, what a great email that was. That is amazing. I hope we can share some photos. I'll get some permission. And uh, thank you for the commentary about the paper. One of the ways that I kind of got into this was I read an amazing book called Anonymous by uh, Foster, Don Foster. And he was part of the um, frontier work in um, linguistic fingerprints. So I have a pattern recognition. When someone, um, you know, on the forum over the years, on when I'm on in the internet and somebody comes on as a troll or fakes it, I usually can recognize who it is by the way that they write the certain grammatical patterns they use. And that, that is used in some uh, murder mm -hmm. mysteries. It's solving crime now. I saw that on the forensic files last week. <laughs> and he wrote that book to great controversy about 20 years ago. Well, that was amazing. All um, I know, by the way, about yeah. being a forensic scientist, I know yes. from watching popular TV, like, I don't know, uh, what are those shows? Bolander, uh, CSI, CSI, and, and th those sorts of shows, right? Um, right? Is that in order to be a forensic scientist, you've yeah. got to be really gorgeous, don't you? You do have to be very beautiful, yes. And that's why I'm so interested in it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh my God, I love my Dateline. <laughs> I want to ask you. Okay. It's so weird when you have these documentaries on murder like Dateline or the Jinx or something, right? And then they interview the family of the accused. So many times they're like, no, we don't we don't believe he did it. We're, we're on his side. I'm like, who else would have murdered their wife? They were in the building with her. But you can't 
believe it. I guess it's so painful. The denial is so strong. I think also people who ha- who have it in their soul to be able to murder people uh, can say anything. Yeah, can but I mean, the people family of, of that person, I guess they can, can, you're right, they're con artists. They can convince people of, a, of they lie. Sure, it's like people who have double lives and have yeah. two entire families, and yeah. you wonder how they could possibly juggle that. They get right. very, very good at juggling it. They create rules around it. Right, right. Okay, well, I'm going to be watching the Oscars on Monday night recorded in Toronto when I get there, because I'm, I have to go to bed so early tomorrow night to get up and drive that I'm going to try not to watch it. And I'm going to try not to watch the Oscars too. <laughs> F you. <laughs> I know that you're not going to watch it. And so don't text me anything about the Oscars and I have to avoid social media for 24 hours. The the uh, the Oscars that I love the best were mm-hmm. the ones that happened when I was in Hanoi and I didn't have to watch it. I just got the text <laughs> who was winning. Oh, I would get these awesome. updates from you. Okay, this person oh, won yeah. this, person's won that. It was great. That was a good year. That was Parasite, I think. Yes, it was the Parasite yeah. year. I watched in New Orleans. I watched in my hotel. I didn't go out that night. I stayed home in New Orleans. And you know how much I love New Orleans. And going out to eat, I stayed in my pension and watched it on TV. Then I went to get my nails did the next day. And the guys were watching it again. So I watched it twice. (laughs) It was great. That was a great year for the Oscars. I think Cher got Moonstruck. Best actress for Moonstruck. I remember that movie. That was a good movie. Great movie. Such a good movie. You're a wolf. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Was that Norman Jewison? Moonstruck? Yes. Yeah. That was a really good movie. I love him. I love Norman Jewison. Your wife gave me a a memoir of his. It was very good. A very interesting guy. Very interesting guy. All right. So, listeners, and uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for hanging with us when we took our hiatus and i hope you enjoyed tonight's episode and Today. watch watch for a yeah. special episode coming out about hispanic witches it's must must listen must listen all right love you